You're listening to a DM podcast. There's one lady who who doesn't feature in the podcast, and her husband reached out to me and said, "Oh, you don't know me." He said, "But my wife was in that fire." He said, "I just want to let you know that she's not in a position to talk, but as a result of listening to it, has decided that she's not okay and." She has realised that she associates with what Tia and Jess and the Morris girls and all these people that, you know, so beautifully told their story. Oh, you know what? I'm going through that too. And for the first time in 20 years, she went and sought counselling this year as a result of it. Now, if that's the outcome of the podcast, then I'm really proud. Welcome to Behind the Podcast and to episode three of our exploration into true crime. I'm Jules, and with me as always is Anthony. Today we're talking to Paul Cochran about his moving and important podcast, Childers. So many of the people we speak to talk about the importance of finding a subject that's close to you, and this story was very close to Paul. 20 years ago, he had his first assignment covering the arson attack of the Childers Hostel in Queensland, which claimed the lives of 15 backpackers. Rather than focus on the perpetrator, Paul wanted to focus on and give voice to the survivors 20 years on from the incident. This makes Childers an incredibly personal and powerful listen. His is also a great story of seizing the moment, rolling up your sleeves, collaborating with people, and giving it a crack. So, Paul, tell us about how this story came to you. I guess for me, Childers came about because I lived and breathed it 20 years ago as a, as a reporter, and, and the way I came to be part of it was it was the fifth day of my fifth week in television. I'd, my first job was straight out of uni was in Bundaberg. I did two years on the local paper, and then... I kind of I was I was doing sport, but there's kind of not enough sport to sustain a full year. So then I'd get put on news, and and then because I I wasn't always doing news, I'd get sort of 80th birthdays and you know 50th wedding anniversaries, those type of stories. And I started to think, oh, is this really for me? And and then a, a friend of mine actually approached me. He was at Channel Seven, the local the local regional station there, and he said, look, I'm leaving. You should come and do an audition tape, and you know take on the job. And I literally had no ambition, didn't do any broadcast, deliberately avoided it while I was at uni. And then I got thrown another one of these stories that I, I was sort of starting to cringe a lot about. And I thought, you know what, I'll give it a go. Went in, did what I must be the worst audition tape in the history of television. They can't have had anyone else, but somehow I got the job. And the fifth day of my fifth week, I'm handed, I'm essentially the custodian of the biggest story in the world right then and there. So... Um, you know, you, you learn, did I know what I was doing properly at the time? No, probably not in hindsight, but you learn on the run and you, and you sponge and, and suddenly I've got helicopters flying in that I'd never seen. You know, I wasn't exposed to that in regional, in regional TV and having, t- um, you know, helicopters flying in the big guns that you always just saw on TV and they're, they're doing their thing. So you, I guess you try and just, just fake it, fake it to make it. And, and, but I was the first one there. So I had a responsibility and straight away you get absorbed in what it's about and how much this was impacting that town. I'd lived in that region for a few years, so I had a really under, you know, acute understanding of how Childers ticked and what it meant and, you know, and what a devastation it was. Mm-hmm. And pretty quickly we, you know, we had a, um, you know, a stark realisation that there were a serious number of um, casualties and fatalities in that, in that fire. So the magnitude certainly wasn't lost on me. You just try and do it justice, really, and, and be compassionate and, you know, treat it with the sensitivity that it deserves. And that's how Childers really came to be for me then. And because of the nature of local regional journalism, you're sort of there all the time. So where the, you know, the metropolitan journos, the Brisbane journos and some of the ones from, from Sydney and Melbourne left and the internationals, they left. 
we stayed. You know, that, that was our patch. So every sign of momentum from the building being demolished to being reconstructed to anything to do with um, the judicial system to uh, to any you know survivors coming back and laying wreaths there or whatever mm. we were there and we were we were part of that story how the community recovered how the community wrapped their arms around those people who got out and you know and gave them a family away from home so we were there so three years really I I lived and breathed it until I, I left the era I went and played cricket in England for, for two years and and sort of and then ten years ago my mum and dad, who were living abroad at the time when the fire happened, rang me up and, and they said, oh, we're moving back to Australia and we've bought a block of land and we're going to build a house in Childers. So so for thought of thirteen of the last twenty years, I've actually been heavily invested in that story. And whenever I go to Childers I always pop into the memorial and pay my respects and and I guess that's how, you know, I came to be so closely associated with it. Um I guess what happened what happened from a podcast perspective, a few years ago, I started having this thought in my mind, I really wanted to write a book and I, and I pitched to publishers the ideas of- Around Childers? No, well, it was more like actually sports biographies because I was a sports journalist and, and I pitched a few ideas around some really prominent athletes. You know, I, I'm not going to name drop them, but, you know, they're top-notch athletes and didn't quite get them across the line. So I had this- I guess this feeling that I hadn't quite delivered on what I what I wanted to do, and so uh, I then took on a two year contract working in Parramatta. And for people who are listening who don't know the you know the the geography of Sydney, that's about a forty five minute commute from the city, either on the train or driving. I started to get a little bit sick of my Spotify playlist, so I started <laughs> listening to podcasts, and then I started to get a bit sick of just listening to, to sport content, um, and found the true crime genre and. So then when I, when I pieced together, A, I wanted to write a book, B, hey, this true crime thing's really intriguing. And then marrying that up with, hey, I've still got this children's thing in the back of my mind, you know, it ha- hasn't properly been told. Pieced it all together and then just one day I said, you know what, I, I reckon there's something in this. And started digging around, started making a few inquiries, a few Facebook, you know, cold calls to, to people that I, you know, names that I remembered. I've always been really good with names with that time of my life and started getting in touch and, and quickly having some conversations around just really seeing where people were at and it, and it quickly became apparent to me that people were suddenly prepared to tell their story for the first time in 20 years. Well, there's certainly something in that podcast. It's a brilliant podcast. We'd like to just step back for a minute and uh, run through your career, I guess, post-Childers, yeah. just to get some background on how you ended up in podcast. You've worked in TV. We found a lot of people that um, have created podcasts that have been in the awards this year, the Australian Podcast Awards, have been people who have a background in TV. It seems to be the not necessarily the logical stepping stone, but seems to be a great stepping stone. Could you yeah. talk us through a bit of what you did. Yeah, and I think the podcast formats really open up that that opportunity to tell story in a you know a broadcast format that doesn't rely on pitches. You know, I I mean, I guess with Childers, I floated the idea of it being a documentary or you know some sort of television television process, but there's restrictions around that. There's, um, you know, I, I worked for the network that filmed the the building on fire. You know, but they own the pitches. So then there's restrictions mm. around who can broadcast that, who can see it, you know, geography and, you know, international boundaries around around broadcast pitches and that. So the, the podcast format has no international, you know, boundaries at all. You know, anyone around the world can listen to it. And I found that intriguing just in the analytics around the children's podcast, around who's listening and where and, and you know, and where it's, where it's tracking. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess... TV gives you that grounding. And actually, when I, I said to the editor who, who helped me out with the project, a guy named Zoltan Fecho, I said, look, mate, I actually don't really know 
what best practice is with piecing together a script. But this is how I'm going to operate and I'm literally going to steal the way I did it for television, which is my bit, someone else's bit, my bit, someone else's bit. It'll all be scripted out for you. I will, con- I will take some control over what that starts to look like. And that was a formula that worked. And that's just... That was literally just my my method for putting together a television script for the news. Yeah, the 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 story structure that you've put forward, like that you ran with, is actually quite interesting. I mean, it, it sort of seems to be unique in in that uh, true crime genre space where you've taken the voice of the survivors first, and then you kind of roll into the actual story of of you know who done it. I suppose the yeah. best way of putting it. But did you give a lot of thought to that? Yeah, no, I did. And, and it goes back to what the original intent of the podcast was. And the, and the intent of the podcast really was to um, to create a legacy piece to the 15 young men and women who died in that fire and really give them a, them a, there's a, there's a line in the, in one of the episodes with one of the, the guys who got out of the fire, a guy named James Whitehurst. And he, and he coined the phrase, rest easy, palace 15. And he, and he said it at a memorial about three nights after the fire. And he sort of, you know, he's depicted as the person who came up with that. And I put it to him when I interviewed him and, and he broke down and I said, what's wrong? And he said, yeah, I really, I actually really regret that phrase. And I said, why? And he said, well, they're not just a number, they're names. And that, that to me was a pointer to why I did it all along. We, we seem to remember the person who lit the fire, who killed 15 people and is, and is sitting in prison at the moment for the murder of two. We seem to remember him. Mm. But we, but the names of the fifteen people seem to be forgotten. So that was that was the reason why it was built around that. Um, and but there were so many people in that building that night who never had the chance to tell their story, who had really compelling stories, who've never told it, and and therefore I decided to build it around all the different pieces. And media plays a big piece in in children's podcast as well. It, it actually because the media were there as the storytellers, the eyes and ears for for the world you know telling people in far-flung nations who'd lost people in that fire who had people in that building that night yeah well it was a backpackers hostel so it was an international incident affecting families from all around the world it was an international incident exactly so media played a big part and they're really good orators of what happened at the time um so yeah, I mean, the, in in the community and the and the you know the people in, in governance at the time, you know, looking after that town, uh, the prime minister at the time, John Howard features in the podcast, and the premier at the time, Peter Beattie. So, you know, Childers was a Childers was a game changer from a legis- legislative perspective. The reason that smoke alarms sit above our heads in most public facilities now is because of that fire, yeah. and people people probably probably don't realise that around that fire at the time, but. Peter Beattie is the Premier of Queensland at the time, fast-tracked, really swift change around legislation, around safety in public accommodation facilities. And Queensland, while it wasn't necessarily the leader at the time, it quickly became the leader in, in safety. So there's so many perspectives to the children's story. That's why it ended up being 22 oh. episodes. Oh, it's yeah. an incredibly elegant and effective approach. You don't introduce the perpetrator of the crime, Robert Long, until episode 14. Mm. And by that time, he's so invested in all the stories. And it really becomes almost secondary that this was also a you know, horribly deliberate event. And then you move beautifully into the aftermath. I think congratulations on what you've done. I yeah, mean, thanks. So, you know, I'm... I'm extremely proud of how it how it came to be and if i'm completely honest i had an idea but not necessarily all the the, it it was a jigsaw that i was putting together on the run it really was i mean you know it 
it initially, I had a conversation with um, Bill Trevor and Steve Johnson. So that's the the mayor at the time and the CEO at the time who were still in, in office in the Bundaberg region at the moment. I met with them at Christmas time, um, so a year ago, basically. And it's really hard to, because podcasts among probably that, um, older demographic in regional areas, I don't think are, necess- are still an evolving product. And it's hard to explain what it could be to people who aren't really familiar with the platform either. Um, but we, we started to talk through what I thought it could be, and it probably ended up being something a little bit different to that. You know, I, I think my original pitch was, you know, this will probably be about 12 episodes. Well, it ended up being 22. Mm-hmm. And episodes were getting added while I was writing. I was getting phone calls and messages from people going, I was there. This impacted me in this way. Hey, someone I know was in it and hey, they don't want to talk, but you've actually helped them because they're hearing it. So the stories about Robert Long and and his sordid past Mm. actually sort of came quite late in the piece. I slotted that one in because that one, that one emerged. So you didn't know too much about that past of his. I did, but I didn't, I actually didn't really plan. It's the one episode, and that's episode 15. It's called Kruger. Yeah. Um, it's the one episode that I I made a really uh, judgment call on whether to even include it. There were, there were two. It's predominantly two interviews. It's with his de facto and the de facto's daughter. Lauren and Christine Lauren, Campbell. Yep. So Lauren, um, we had a good conversation on the phone. I felt really different after doing those interviews to what I did. Um, you know, I probably, I think I was like a lot of people going, you know, was Robert Long just unlucky in a way? Even though I was there, was he just, did he just, he was such an isolated, removed character from normality and from society. Was he just unlucky? Did he just light a fire and it got away from him and didn't mean to kill anyone? Was it like that? And I probably, even while I was in the early stages of doing the podcast, felt that way. After I spoke to Lauren and Christine, I completely flipped and thought, no, this guy's a menace to society. He's a deranged psychopath who belongs where he is right now and probably should never be let out. Yeah, I think those two interviews, I mean, they're really quite affecting. I think after listening to those, you definitely get a different sense of who he is. Yeah, And, And that's why I made the decision to end up including it for that reason. And... After that episode, that was the most feedback I got um, after that episode. It was a lot of the survivors. It was thank you and oh my God were the, were the two sentiments that I was getting back. And, and there's little forums that the survivors have got their own little group that they've stuck together for 20 years. And I got told that among that group, the conversation really opened up after that. And they actually confided and counseled each other after that episode because they were... They were deeply affected by some of those episodes and, and to the point where some of them have told me when it was their episode, someone else would listen to it first and then say, okay, we've is, heard it. This is safe. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. How do you approach that when you're contacting them to be a part of this and say, look, we're going to be digging up some stuff here. It's obviously 20 years on. That's yeah. a milestone in and of itself around this. But do you say... You know, do you give them any kind of guidance on what you'd like to go after, the purpose? And yeah. How do they respond? Look, I... As I said before, I did cold call a lot of them. Um, where I had, where I had some, I guess I had skin in the game because I'd been there and and I could resonate with what they had. Clearly not at the same level because I wasn't 
one of the people who was trapped in the building, but I saw what they went through. Um, however, because I sat in the media, media weren't missed the popularity in Childers 20 years ago because the, the nature of the way it was, they were in a community centre, it was a safe zone for them, but it was 100 metres from the palace itself and it's one street. And so if they wanted to go anywhere, they had to walk through us, through yeah. media. Yeah. So some media were um, did not um, give the industry a good name uh, at the time. And, and I'm deeply sorry and apologetic. And I actually make that point in one of the episodes. Yeah, it's interesting in that regard with the media coming from out of town who might have been on a bit of a deadline or might have had a short amount of time, whereas you're in the community. Did that make it easier for you to connect? Yeah, I mean, there's stories of some media... Um, posing as survivors to get into the into the building, oh, you know man. whether that and whether that's accurate or not. But that's what you know is a is commonly told by survivors and other media talk about that. So you know that that's not that's not ethical or you know or the right thing to do. But but for that reason, and and not just because I'm media, but this, the nature of the story itself. A lot of those survivors have got their walls up, still do. Um, and I, in a, in a sense, did as well. I'm quite protective of the story. Um, and so I remember the first backpacker I spoke to, first survivor was uh, was Richard Tempest, who features him. Um, and, and the fire happened on his first night in the in the building. Actually, he'd only slept there. I make the point in one of the episodes: the palace is a hundred years old, and he slept for two hours in the building that night. It happened to be the fire, but. Richard was the first um, survivor that I approached and I, I remember sending him a message and, and said, hey, are you Richard who was in the, the fire? And he just came back, yes, I am. Why? Mm. What are you doing? And it was this, it was very, and then over time it, it really evolved to the point, you know, I, I went, I flew up to Brisbane to interview him. We went out for dinner, we've had beers, we still, you know, we keep in touch, you know, so um, they've had their walls up and then and then you've got other people and, and probably one of the most powerful episodes is episode four with jessica um who freely admits that a half an hour before we spoke she was going to pull the pin on it she said i just can't i can't face this since the episode went to where she got in touch said i'm so glad i did that for the first time in my life in, sorry, in the last 20 years, I feel like there's a weight off my shoulders. I feel free. I feel uncoiled. Yeah, her you story know, she, was amazing. I mean, yeah. she said, self-confessed, that she was, you know, a bit more reclusive, I suppose. Yeah. And just what you got out of her, you know, it was just so emotive. Yeah, I mean, she talks about, you know, doing a university studies after the fire and being back in England and being in a coil on a bed after lessons for hours on end, just crying. Yeah. You know, and and, and while Robert Long, and I'm really hesitant to say his name, I... I his name actually makes me feel a bit yuck, even just saying his name. Because I, but we we say it as a, as a reference point, I guess. Um, but his sentence of twenty years, he he he's serving a sentence for arson and two counts of murder, and that's merely just a legal loophole. Why it's only two, um, but his sentence doesn't reflect what he did to Jess or what he did to Tia Poe in episode five, or what he's done to any of those people, or those poor mums and dads in Holland and Ireland, and you know Ken Morris in episode three, who says that Robert Long put his, his wife in an early grave because she never got over it. She died of a broken heart eight years later. So his sentence doesn't reflect any of that. And, you know, 15 people might have died, 69 got out. Well, you know, did he attempt to murder 69 other people? There hasn't never been an attempted murder charge leveled at the guy either. So, you know, the the trauma that must go with that around the, you know, the the white light of 
thinking you're about to die. Um, you know, it must be really hard to reconcile and to recover from. And some of them clearly haven't. Well, you do an incredible job of a putting the listener into that perspective, but it sounds like you've also done an incredible job of making, actually changing these people's lives. Yeah, I mean, there's one lady who who doesn't feature in the podcast, and her husband reached out to me and said, "Oh, you don't know me." He said, "But my wife was in that fire." He said, "I just want to let you know that she's not in a position to talk, but as a result of listening to it, has decided that she's not okay and." She has realized that she associates with what Tia and Jess and the Morris girls and all these people that, you know, so beautifully told their story. Oh, you know what? I'm going through that too. And for the first time in 20 years, she went and sought counseling this year as a result of it. Now, if that's the outcome of the podcast, then I'm really proud. So you talk about every episode you reference support from Bundaberg's Regional Council. What sort of support was that? Yeah, so... The way Queensland realigned its local government boundaries, um, oh, look, I don't know exactly when. It was about six, six or eight years ago or something like that. They realigned their boundaries. So the Isis Shire Council, which is where Childers was at the time, no longer exists, and Bundaberg City became Bundaberg Regional Council. So the, the mayor of the time in Isis is now the deputy mayor, the CEO at the time, actually returned to the area, and he's the CEO of Bundaberg. So Bundaberg took over the memorial, so part of it for me was um, I wanted to make sure that that memorial continued to have, I guess, a relevance, mm-hmm. it, 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 that we were getting foot traffic coming through. And part of it too was that so many businesses did it really tough for a long time. You know, the, this, Bill Trevor talks about it like having your front tooth knocked out. And that's literally what it was. The most prominent building on that street got burnt down. And for up to two years... It was literally sitting there and foot traffic couldn't go past. A lot of businesses financially did it really tough. Got a little bit of government assistance to, to get them through. So part of it for me was, hey, if, if we can make people go back and they, instead of, because Childers is a highway town, so to go you know, north to Bundaberg, south to Maribor, you've got to go through Childers. There's no way around it. So I thought if we can come up with a way that people stop, that's where they fuel up. That's where they buy a coffee. That's where they have a sandwich. Pop into the memorial, pay your respects then that's great. And financially, I guess, almost compensate 20 years on, you know, the butcher, the fruit shop, the bakery, all those little mm-hmm. small businesses that have done it tough. So that was part of the, the original pitch to the council around, um, around having some, some support with getting access to the memorial. And, and, and I then said to them, well, I'm going to give you the files. So all the audio files will, and, the, and the podcast itself – it's been handed to Bundaberg City Council as a, as a relationship that a regional council, sorry, that I've um, done with them. And the idea is that uh, I guess in the, I've been to so many of these memorials around the world in different places, and that, and you can put on a set of headphones and you can kind of hear what happened and that, and that's kind of in our long term plan. So obviously, podcasts, you know, require you know, uh, you've got to be able to finance it in some way. So Bundaberg basically came up with a way that they could help me out with being able to put it together. So so I guess that's where their support kicked in, you know, and I probably couldn't have done it without their help, to be honest. Um, you know, but ultimately the podcast is put together as a legacy piece to sit basically in that memorial and hopefully the memorial will be there forever and a day, you know, long, long beyond myself and anyone else involved. So can you tell us a little about the production process? Were you working with people you've worked with before? So I had a couple of conversations with a few people and then I really lucked in. I, I actually 
went on a freelance um, media freelance side, I guess, and and just put an ad up. I was very nondescript, very broad, didn't want to give away any details. And I had some approaches from people and I just got this one and I thought, gee, this guy sounds, I like, I like what he's saying. And I, and I gave him a call and, um, and we really clicked. And I, and I just thought, no, I'm making the right decision here. And so his name's Zoltan Fetcher. He's a, Zoltan and I have actually never met in person. Really? No, he's Where's in it? Melbourne. Right. Yeah. So we've done this uh, this year, obviously through COVID times, we've, we've put this together and Zoltan's based in Melbourne and he's a, he's a musician. He, he's sort of, he, he's an amazing musician, does a lot of that soundtrack sort of ambient sort of, um, sort of music and, and, uh, and his partner is, um, she's a really great artist uh, as well. So she features in the podcast with a couple of little cameos, but Zoltan was, he, he was really attuned. I, I mean, his brief, my brief to Zoltan was, I want someone who's going to invest and go above, above and beyond because this is what I really poured my heart out to him on the phone and said, this is what this means to me. This is my background with this story and I don't want anyone to mess it up. So I'm happy for you to take some creative license and I want you to because you're the expert in the audio space. But, but I, want, I want to be able to build that atmospheric sound um, I want stories to come through. I don't want it to be cluttered with, you know, jingles and all that sort of stuff, but I wanted the ambience and I wanted, I wanted some level of giving the listener a, a sense that they were there. So Zoltan, um, Zoltan said to me, oh, well, that's great. He said, oh, I'm, I'm big on audio. So to give you an example of how invested in audio is, he said, look, I'm, I live in Melbourne and he said, I'm really keen to create the soundscape of what Childers sounds like. He said, I could go out into my backyard in Melbourne and I could record some birds and some trees and stuff. He said, but that's Melbourne. That's not Childers. So what he did was he did the research into what the native birds were in Childers and the trees that were on the street and went and basically sourced the exact audio of the birds and the trees in that street because a lot of trees that line big leopard trees in order to create that sound so in the first couple episodes you'll hear birds and sort of this this sound of as though you're walking on the street he's recreated that what a find i know another one in the first episode the is is the story of the firefighters who went in the first respondents and he told me this story like weeks after this one had gone to air and he said he goes i don't know if you realize he said i when i got the audio of fire trucks he said um you know if you go on sort of library sounds and all that sort of stuff you'll you'll only find say like new york fire trucks and that he said but he goes no one would probably know the difference he said but i'd know and those firefighters would know so he researched the exact model of fire truck that that brigade in Childers would have been using 20 years ago and sourced that sound of that siren approaching. Jeez. Tremendous. Sounds like you found a kindred spirit there. He's brilliant. And he did all the original sound composition and everything. He's done some videos. He, his old childhood piano and he's jammed keys and he's apologised to his mum on social media for potentially messing with the, you know, the, the integrity of their old, their old piano. But he's done all this really cool, tricky stuff. 
Well, yeah. every second of the podcast has some sort of musical mm. element to it. I mean, it sets the tone from episode to episode. The music bed is very subtle, but it's there every single episode. Yeah. What was your process, I guess, for production? Uh, I write. I I would I, I literally wrote it from my couch in my apartment in Sydney. Uh, now, I guess I'd done a little bit of podcasting previously and more in this sort of Q&A format in sport. I'd done a little bit of it that didn't go anywhere and I was sort of doing some Skype calls and stuff and realised that that wasn't working. Uh, I went, I was a, I was a small business in, in the sports industry and that, and I, and I was doing podcasts with, and I, and I had a Q and A type sports profiling um, podcast. So I went out and bought some gear and I, you know, I did sort of James Magnuson, the swimmer, um, Shannon Eckstein, the greatest ever Ironman, uh, Chris Gale, we actually videoed that one. And um, I took it to India, actually, and I interviewed the Indian hockey captain, a guy named Sadar Singh. So I bought this kit, which literally fitted in my backpack. So I guess when we go back to the my process of how I came up with the idea to do a podcast, I guess I was like, oh, well, I've got all that gear sitting there. And literally, it was a couple of Rode mics and a, and a Zoom recorder and... Off I went. I mean, I, I would write when I was happy with it. And and that's one of the great things too, because I own the product, I didn't have to give it to a, an editor to, to approve my script like I always had to do in television or newspapers or whatever. So that was great. I, I owned the content. And um, I'd literally voice it in my bedroom, try and get as sort of, you know, sound composed as I could be sitting on my bed, literally doing it there. Had some, obviously, Sydney traffic every now and again, I'd get a a garbage truck or a police siren or something come past and I have to go again. Ambient noise. Yeah. yeah just... So, um, and I'd literally just send Zoltan the file. And, you know, across a, you know, $2.49 a month for Google Drive, <laughs> increased storage or whatever, we were transferring files amongst ourselves. And then he'd do a cart, you'd review. He'd do a cart, he'd send it to me. I, I tried to, because it, it takes a little bit of time, obviously, for it to appear on the different platforms, particularly, say, iTunes, I would... I'd sit up till just after midnight on the, and we were, we'd roll them out every three days. So I'd sit up till just after midnight on the day we wanted to go out Australian time, and I'd basically have it ready to go, upload it. So when I woke up in the morning, it was all sitting there, and okay, I could do the socials and before I went to work. So super interesting. So um, I guess two things to unpack there. One is that you had a job, but the first thing is the release schedule. You dropped four episodes on the first day. Yep. And then you were going sort of every three, four days after yeah, that? Yeah, we went it? every three. Um, and, and one of the things that we, we had to really bear in mind was we were getting really close to the anniversary of the fire. We, we, had, an initial, um, we had an initial tip off that Robert Long's, um, Robert Long's parole hearing we thought was going to be the 30th of June. So the, the anniversary of the fire is the 23rd of June. So initially we thought his parole hearing is the 30th of June and we thought, well, if he gets out or even if he stays in, we want to be in a position to be able to do some follow-up content just in case. So I wanted to have it all out by then. So then we're working backwards on the math, but then I started adding in extra episodes as well. You know, apologetically, I'd sort of have this sort of, I'd eventually get to the conversation with Zoltan and say, uh, mate, we're, uh, look, I've got this other idea, <laughs> you know. Well, this interview's come up and I really think it deserves and he'd be, oh, do you think you can bundle them together? And between us, we'd sort of mash it out and how we go about doing it. So yeah, the release schedule really was, okay, there's what we think when Robert Long's going to have his hearing. Now, ultimately that actually hasn't happened yet. Uh, there's where the anniversary of the fire is. So let's kind of overlap that date. So we, we've built up a bit of momentum around the anniversary. 
we wanted to get most of the, I guess, the story around the, the fire when the anniversary was. But the other thing I was really conscious of is I didn't want the episodes about Robert Long and what he'd done landing on the anniversary date. Right. Because I was, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, that people weren't getting too upset around, you know, what, because I, I kind of, I thought it would do well. I did, I didn't think it would do as well as it would because I just thought, well, it's an independent, you know, production. I don't have the marketing spend and people probably aren't just going to find it. It'll end up being one of those great pieces of content that, unfortunately because there's so much content that people never hear about i thought oh, i'm probably going to fall into that so yeah i mean i but i was hopeful and but i yeah i was i was really conscious of just making sure that there wasn't any super sensitive content around the perpetrator yep. landing around the anniversary date how many episodes did you have in the can when you went live uh four <laughs> <laughs> wow so you guys were really doing yeah, it on the we, fly. Were, we were turning them around yeah we were so look i had no, I mean, I, I had, oh, I had more than half of it written. Sure. Uh, Zoltan had cut four. He'd edited four. So we, and then he was working in number five. I think the day that, the day that we put the first four up, and he was literally, so he was giving himself two days to put an episode together, and he, he did a great job. You know, he he'd lay a bed, he'd send that to me, and then he'd work on the music, and then he did a lot of just what audio people do <laughs> you know it's a different language to me but absolutely bless the, their souls huh yeah exactly <laughs> you know and, and and doing all the stuff to make he he was really pedantic it was you know it's he poured his heart into it too you know that's why i'm i'm you know it pains to point out that he was part of it um you know put him on all the credits because the amount of work he did into making sure that it sounded as good as the integrity mm. of it could be as good as it was was there an episode where you saw things pick up in terms of audience engagement it's funny you know it, it it hit the charts sort of quickly um you know and i'm only going off the apple charts but it came in look i think it was i think it might have come in at around 80 or something like that and the top 200 go up on the charts it came in and i sort of was like oh wow i'm on the charts you know i, I kind of was really i thought that's a really cool moment and i remember ringing zoltan and said hey have you have you seen it you know and and we realised that the chart seemed to refresh sort of just after seven o'clock at night. So, and then it disappeared. And then we thought, oh, well, we've had our moment, and, you know. And then I can't remember, I think it might have been two or three episodes later. I, I definitely did some national television spots. I did the Today Show because mm -hmm. Carl Stefanovic's in the podcast. And so I spoke to Carl on the Today Show and I did Studio 10. And, and obviously talk about Robert Long's appeal. Yeah, he putting his parole application was starting to, gather some momentum so um the podcast started to be on people's radar a little bit more so it had that organic publicity going on so it did come back into the charts and i remember it was somewhere around the 37 or something like that and we thought oh wow that's how good's that and then it just continued to climb and i was screenshotting like every time i'd say it i was screenshotting and there's a facebook group for the podcast and i was posting it to keep people engaged and then Joe Rogan was number one. And Joe Rogan's obviously, you know, one of the biggest players in the world when it comes to podcasts. And and I remember we got to number two on the charts. And I said to Zolnus, okay, we've we've peaked here. And we kind of came to the we thought, oh well, that's it. And then the next day we we went to number one. We could not believe it. We were on the phone and I, I I used to say to people, and I still say it, I said, we're the little tugboat going past a cruise liner. Yeah. You know, we, 
our, our little independent production made on a couch in Melbourne and a couch in Sydney went past... Beat the $200 million well, man. Studio yeah. productions, yeah. Um, rebadged radio content, um, you know, your Hamish and Andy's, all the great stuff that ABC do and all that sort of stuff, all you, you know, all the big companies. So to go back to Acast, um, yeah, I mean, it, it had finished when I... Um, uh, it was Emily Webb who does Strange True Crime uh, sort of said, hey, I'm, I'm doing some work with Acast and they are familiar with what you do and they'd love to have a conversation with you. And yeah, I, I was, you know, really chuffed to to think that a, that a label wanted to take it on and, you know, take on my work. And, you know, hopefully there's other projects in the pipeline that, you know, can continue that association with them. So, Have you started to think about other progress and, and certainly yourself and Dalton as well now, a bit of a team? Yeah, and, and team's the right word. I mean, I, I wouldn't have any hesitation in working with Dalton again. And, I, and I've... Um, I've I've almost half in a way been been hesitant in promoting him to other people because I want to make sure that he's available if I want to do something else because I sort of think he's mine you know but but um, you know I've sort of made sure that other people are aware of his work because I, I want him to and and you know be able to buy his album right yeah well you know one thing Zoltan has said to me he said because he'd done a bit of podcast editing and stuff on different projects as well but not certainly um, at a I guess a, a deep story like Childers is. And he's actually said to me, he said, I, I wonder how I'm going to go going back to stuff that doesn't have me investing that emotional energy and in, in that creative license as much, you know, as opposed to just someone saying, here, slap this together for yeah. me and, you know, do this podcast. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got a couple of ideas in mind, potentially in, the true, in that true crime space. But, you know, it, it, this has been a really different year really different and one of the things i i was really really hot on was making sure you know as we mentioned before i had a full-time job and in making sure that i was prioritizing that full-time job and so what that then means is it's all the time that you spend when you finish that job working into the early hours of every morning every night and i spent nine months working on children's so you know it's a, it's a long time. How's the feedback generally been, you know, overall? I mean, obviously a lot of people would just be wrapped with the outcome because it is mm. fantastic. But have you had just a lot of, you know, messages of support come through since? Yeah, you yeah, have. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people who, who do creative products, they don't read the reviews and that, but I challenge anyone not to, you know, not to have a look at them. And, you know, mostly they're pretty flattering. But although... I remember early in the piece, you know, on the on the Apple podcast, there's the five stars that you can rate it, and I, I saw it. I saw there was at least one one star on there, and maybe two. Or I don't know, but it was enough to register anyway on that little thing. And I thought, really, who is this soulless person? Oh, really? <laughs> and I, and and I guess that's the thing when you when you go ahead. Podcasting is a is a really unique format in that there's no financial return on it. Be, you're literally putting a free product out there to provide the soundtrack to people's commute and their their day. And particularly in 2020, you know, listening habits have changed so much when people are listening. I know in my own listening habits, I'm not listening at the same times when I was and, and that. So you're literally putting a free product out there for someone. And I think to give a negative review is, is a really interesting way to, to view something. But um Mostly it's been really positive. Could you recommend a few podcasts that you're listening to? But I'd like you to just start by just telling us any of the podcasts that you were listening to on that 45-minute commute to Parramatta, yeah. which were the ones that hooked you, made yep. you create this magnificent piece of audio. Yeah, the main one was Who the Hell is Hamish? Um, and I, I was listening to that 
and I and I got really intrigued by it. And I, I remember hearing um, hearing one of the one of the ladies who had been hoodwinked by this guy, and I was like, that name that name sounds familiar. And then I, I was like, hang on, we're connected on LinkedIn, and I reached out to her and said, hey, is that you? I've just been listening to this, and I, and then. About a month later, I said, hey, I've got this idea. I think I'm going to go into podcasting myself. And then about six weeks ago, I reached out and said, hey, um, just letting you know, I did deliver on that project and I'm a finalist in the Australian Podcast Awards for that, for that project. Um, and, and also, um, uh, Eric George, who was involved in that project as well, I reached out to him and he encouraged me to you know, go forward with it and got back to him and... So yeah, that was the main one. That that to me was a, um, and, and the other one was the uh, the one that Ronan Ronan Farrow did about uh, about, about uh, Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, that that commute for me helped frame how long an episode should be. So gotcha. all those little learnings that you take. I I know that there were some episodes that I was listening to and. I turn up at work and there's still a couple of minutes to go. I'll be like, oh, you know, that, no, mine needs to finish in that. That's what a typical commute looks like. So, yeah, I mean, I, I look. I, Mark Howard is a former colleague and and a and, and a friend, and I remember talking to Howie in the really really early stages of when he was thinking about putting together the Howie Games, and I'm I'm super proud of what he's done with that product and and how successful it's been. And, and so it. I listen I listen to his a lot, and. Look, I'm a sports guy. I, I, my, my, probably the podcasts I listen to the most aren't even in the true crime genre. You know, I listen to. I love what the traders do with the AFL fantasy. I, that's my bible. Every, you know, every what Monday morning and Wednesday or Thursday morning, whatever when the teams drop, I watch them live on Facebook and I, and I keep in touch with those boys. The great cricketer, I love what those guys do. You know, um, Batuta, I love. You know, <laughs> what you guys are doing so. You know, it's. You know, I don't think you necessarily have to be creating content in the in where your interest wheel is. It's what you what you're capable of doing. And for me, that's one of the things I'm most proud of. You know, I probably have my doubters. Really, true crime? Can can you do this? You're the guy who was on Sports Tonight doing the cricket. I love that, I love that little <laughs> bit of advice of yeah. of just thinking about your commute time and thinking, okay, when we're doing the or the length of the episode, we need to really factor in so that no one's got three minutes left if they're yeah. going to run into a meeting or something. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We like to finish obviously with a bit of advice, and you've already given quite a bit already. Yeah. But if you just had a couple of little bits you'd like to share as a, a bit of parting wisdom, that'd be unreal. Yeah, back yourself. I think is is one thing. Um, I had I had someone ask me recently about my my tips for journalism. My my old uni actually did a story about the podcast being nominated, you know, in the in the Australian Podcast Awards, and and they asked me a, some advice around journalism. And I think it applies to this as well. Is is break the mold. Be prepared to to take some real creative license with you, you know, with your sentence structure and the way you be conversational. Just because someone else has done it, that's not the macro or the template for how you should be doing stuff. I think, I think journalism. You watch the six pm news and the newspapers. There's a lot of the same language gets used and it gets formulaic, and I think it gets boring and it and it and it doesn't reflect well on people's ability to use the English language to be able to to paint a picture. So, I'd say to people, be you know, use words, use sound. This podcast format is amazing for the ability for sound to take hold of you, and you know that's where I'm really lucky that I had Zoltan who who bought into that that vision that I had around sound being able to take you somewhere that obviously most people weren't or, you know, and in a place where they didn't want to be. 
um, be empathetic, you know, particularly in, in this, this line of, of um, you know, genre and true crime. And, you know, mine was talking about either death or near death or the most severe trauma that a lot of people will ever go through. Be really empathetic and talk to people like humans, not like a reporter, not like a journalist. You know, talk to them like an equal and a human and, and let them talk. They're the, they're the star, not, you know, I was just there to give it, a, you know, I was the drummer, you know, <laughs> they were the singer. You know, I was just there to keep it on pace, really, and drive the, drive the narrative. So, um, yeah, I mean, be prepared to ask the questions. You know, I think, what, what's the worst can happen? People will say, no, they don't want to be part of it. You know, I'm, this has really opened my eyes to, I, I've watched, I'll tell you one that I, when the, when, when the Sydney Olympic anniversary was coming up and Channel 7 did a documentary, Bruce, there was two parts or something and it was looking back on Sydney 2000 and Bruce McAvaney did it and Mark Beretta and that. And the weird thing was I'd switched from being a TV guy to a podcast guy when I was watching it. And I remember sitting there going, this would have made a great podcast. And I, and it was a, a moment for me. I was like, what have I turned into? I've turned into a podcaster instead of a TV guy. You're hooked. <laughs> I know. And I was, I was thinking, oh, you could tell that story great. Why didn't I think of this before Channel 7 got to it? I could have done this. This would have been great. To, you know, so, you know, keep, if you're interested in podcasting, it, it can be a really, really cheap, you know, product to put out. Um, you know, you get it, but, but audio integrity is really crucial, really crucial because people are just, there's too many things that are good. The people just go to something else if, if the audio integrity is no good, you know. Well, yours is definitely one that is very good and congratulations again. And thank you very much for spending the time with us today. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. I, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm super proud of it and I, I'll, I'm happy to talk to anyone about Childers and, and, and mostly to keep the, the memory of those 15 young men and women and the 69 people who got out of that fire and all the families and the community workers, they, they deserve to never be forgotten. Well, it's a tremendous piece of work. I mean, as you can tell, we're massive fans of what you've done and I think you've achieved what you set out to do, which is create a time capsule that's going to live on for years. Thank you, Paul, for taking the time to sit with us at Behind the Podcast to talk about Childers. Next episode, we'll conclude our journey down the True Crime Podcast rabbit hole with Richard Baker's The Last Voyage of the Pong Sioux. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. 